Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderit, and Rutgers beat reporter slash uh, co-host now, I guess, uh, Craig Epstein. Swiss Army guys. Knife. Uh, yeah, Swiss Army Knife. Um, I missed it. Uh, it's been about two weeks now, but happy to get back on here and talk some Rutgers sports. Uh, we got a pretty packed show for you guys today. We're going to talk about Rutgers' big, big win on Saturday night at Seton Hall. We're going to talk the bowl game. We're going to talk transfer portal. We're going to talk assistant coaches. And we're going to talk about a former assistant coach at Rutgers who uh, is now making some waves in state. Uh, but let's talk about Rutgers Seton Hall. This is a game that both teams really needed to have, and Rutgers seemed like it was the only team that showed up. And that's kind of, you know, I, I guess taking a little bit away from Rutgers because uh, they just came out and were dominant the, basically the entire game. I don't, I don't think any of us really felt that game was uh, ever at risk. Um, it was. A, the kind of get right game you were hoping they would have the last few weeks because they just have started so slow. They haven't looked the same in terms of defensive intensity, but that was all there on Saturday in full display. Uh, so, Greg, uh, Craig, what was your kind of high level take from from Saturday? What was like something that really stuck out to you? Yeah, I kind of took this as sometimes you see it in like baseball or like football or something like that. Usually you'll have like a team, like a, a little bit of like a players only meeting because I saw Pykel. After the Wake Forest game, kind of, I read that he kind of stuck with the team, like lo- kind of longer in the locker room than afterwards. Yeah, he missed and, his media availability. Yeah. He didn't talk to anybody after the game. Yeah, so you, I mean, you don't know. We obviously we don't know what he said, but you can imagine it's something to do with they. You know, they haven't been performing the last two games up to their standards, so it had to do something with that. And usually, when you have kind of a, a meeting like that, you know, you usually do it before a te- you face a team that you can <clears throat> think you can beat. You know, baseball, you don't have a players only meeting. When you're facing, you know, Garrett Cole the next day, you want to face a team that, you know, you think you can beat that builds some confidence and seen all kind of fit that description. Their, their their squad is even probably even smaller than Rutgers. I mean, as we saw, I mean, Cliff was this was a return to form for Cliff. Like nobody could stop him on either end of the floor. So he just completely took over the game and Rutgers really. I mean, the final <clears> score <throat> was 70 to 63, but it really wasn't that close, to be honest. I mean, Rutgers was up by double digits for various points of the game. Seen Hall made a, a you know, kind of a late rally. You know, of course, Rutgers had to, you know, they, they, they could, you couldn't walk away with uh, at least some kind of nerves. But, you know, Rutgers ended up closing out the game and got, like you said, it got a game they really needed to win because both of these teams came in kind of limping. And you can see where the winner, the, the path ahead kind of gets clear for the winner. You get, feel more confident, whereas the loser, who knows now? I mean, now if you're Seton Hall, now you got, you're facing pretty soon a, probably a Big East gauntlet. That you know is going to be tough for them, but Rutgers they they got the win, and now now going forward they now it's really all about kind of that Mississippi State game because if you get that win, you're basically right back on track to what we thought preseason. Damn, yeah. how are you, Rich? Uh, I think your thoughts. Craig basically hit the nail on the head with everything, but uh, Michael Davis starter stud, future stud. I don't know what you want to call him really. <laughs> But uh, yeah, him making just his putting, first career start Saturday. Yep. Yeah, when and someone said it best, and when those bright lights come on, the stars come out, and he basically is becoming a star. He's budding star now. Uh, that was huge to get him out there. He's just a different guard, and he pushes the pace so much more than everyone else too. Um, and he's a great defender, and that that was helpful. And then you get Mag back, who's arguably one of the best defenders in the Big Ten, and the, the team's back on track. Like Craig said, it's. It's kind of crazy what a switch up for like one game can really do for you. Um, but yeah, no, Cliff, Cliff played really well. I feel like someone called that like a week ago on Twitter. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Um, I watched Seton Hall versus Northeastern. That man got devoured by a guy named Chris Darty at uh, Northeastern. So I was like, oh shit. Like, and that guy was a little, little smaller, a little quicker. And I was like, all right, Cliff's more athletic than Betty Ako. Like, Betty Ako can't move. And then Cliff had a field day. Um, Noah Fernandes had a good game too. Like the, the guard play was there. It was great. Um, overall it's just, it's great. It's good to be back and healthy. And then you got mag back and then you switch up the lineup a little bit and now you got some options going forward. It's, it's going to be fun to see, uh, see what this team can do, especially 
because that Mississippi State team is is very good. So that's going to be a really big game to see, uh, kind of determine the season almost. Yeah, I mean, this is – I don't know how many starting lineups Pike's used this season so far, but it feels like four or five, and this is another iteration of it. Obviously, you get a guy like Watt Magback. That's a huge boost to the team. Mm-hmm. He's known as a stud defender, and he, his offensive game was really rounding into form last year when he got hurt. You know, yeah. you talk about that game-winning shot he had against Ohio State. You know, he was having a great game against Michigan State when he tore his ACL. But he is the ultimate deodorant for this team. Like, everything worked better with Moat Mag on the floor, whether it be spacing on offense, whether it be switching on defense. You know, I was really worried about Kadari Richmond coming into this game because he's had, you know, a slew of good games, and he's just taken over for Seton Hall. Um, and Moat Mag gave, you know, 24 great minutes, especially on defense. You know, he was the only guy seemingly who could hit anything inside the three-point arc. Um, we could talk about that in a bit. Uh, but outside the three-point arc, this team was phenomenal. 12 of 24 from three. You know, you started out hot from three-point range early in the game. You come out of the second half, you're up eight. You hit two dagger threes to start off the second half. You know, we've come at a, come, we've started games slow and started half slow all season, and this was not the case this, this game. Um and a lot of guys were getting threes in the rhythm of the offense too. We we had a few ISO threes that didn't hit. Um, they looked kind of clumsy, but things were happening in the rhythm of the offense. I feel like for the first time all season, um, I don't know if it's because, you know, mag makes everything easier on everyone else, or it's finally, this is kind of the right combination of starting players, but this was the first game where it felt kind of harmonious on offense and the team looked uh, like, they weren't playing soft on defense. Um, but yeah, we, we talk about individual performances. <clears throat> Noah Fernandes, 19 points. He he was kind of the guy, you know, we talked about <clears throat> how this team didn't really have an alpha and we, we needed just kind of a leader to say, you know, give me the ball in clutch moments and, you know, late in games. And he was clearly that, you know, he was the guy who, I think he went six for six in free throw shooting at the end of the game. Um, the, the, hitting those kind of free throws late in games is just so, so critical if you're going to hold on. Because, you know, we were up, I think, like 12 or 13 before the, mm-hmm. the Seton Hall foul spree started. And, you yeah. know, they got it down to, I think, five or six with less than a minute left. So, you know, you start missing free throws, especially on the be- the front end of one-on-ones. That could really just totally flip a game, and we didn't allow that to happen. So I just thought it was a – it. I thought we kind of uh, – Seven points isn't really the true margin of victory there. I thought we looked like clearly the better team. And this bodes well because we play one game a week from now until the new year. And this is a great time for, you know, more practices to really kind of hammer home these lineups, these rotations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I talked about, you know, giving Pike the, the, the bandwidth to kind of get this ship righted because, you know, we've started slow under Pike basically every year. You know, last year we sure. started slow. The year before that we started slow. I think we started like seven and six one year, six and four another. You just got to figure stuff out because we've had so much turnover this off season um, that was unintended. So it's kind of like building the the airplane on the fly. Um, what would you say the biggest key to this victory was, though, uh, Richie? I'll let you start first. Um, probably just a defensive effort overall. I feel like. Um, they didn't let Alamir Dawes, a guy who could go off and has went off in the season, really do anything. Um, they still let Kadari Richmond score his points, but they still held him in check a little bit. Like he was getting 20 probably regardless based on his shots, amount of shots taken, but he's, they kind of held him to under 50% shooting. So that was huge. Um, three pointers. <laughs> I can't believe Alamir Dawes shot 15 three pointers. Like that's I'm, just crazy. I'm looking at that same stat now. <laughs> Alamir Dawes shot. Three of fifteen from three. The rest of the yeah. team went zero for five. He took seventy five percent of their threes. Oh my god! Yeah, they they defended the arc really well. Um, and Seton Hall, like you said, they had a foul shooting spree, but they also missed a lot of foul shots. Like I've yeah. never seen so many clunkers on the free throw line, and I was just like, "Geez!" Like very rough to watch from, from that aspect. Jerseys? But what I was thinking, they switched jerseys. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, they they just. I thought overall the defensive performance was great. Um, the fact that they got out rebounded still kind of worries me a little bit, but they do have bigger guards and their guards are like six, 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 five, six, six, seven, even. Um, but overall, I, I thought the defensive performance was great and switching up the starting lineup. It was, was huge. I think that was a huge little boost to get Jermichael Davis out there. And he played really well too. 
Yeah, I think just from a tangible standpoint, I think it's the, the three point shooting was just a, the difference maker. Like you said, they didn't they weren't as effective inside of the arc, but outside, like you said, hit after hit half of their threes, and like that's just that's just kind of how it is. I mean, you hit the threes, it's pretty it's hard to beat a team that can hit their threes. But I guess from a from a more of an intangible standpoint, I guess is I think this team just played with much more confidence right out of the gate. You could see it, and that's why I think. Mm-hmm. The Rutgers has found something with Jermichael Davis in the starting lineup. He just brings immediate energy, gives them immediate boost. You could, and you just see, you just see it on the floor when they they just play they just play when they hit their shots and play defense. They just play with more confidence, and they just play better. And so, that's credit to Jermichael Davis for giving that energy. Credit again, like you said, credit to Moat Mag because he's just he does it he does it all. So if Rutgers can play with confidence, then they're just, they're just a much better team. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and. I hate to bring up some negatives uh, given how great of a win it was, but I think we got to talk about it. Another game where they struggled around the rim, seven for 21 in shots at the rim. Some of these just feel like bad luck and the worm has to turn. Others, it just seems like they're rushing shots. They're not putting themselves in good position. And it wasn't Cliff this time. Cliff had a great game overall, both Mm -hmm. offensively and defensively, more so defensively because he was altering so many shots at the rim. He had seven blocks. He had 11 rebounds, uh, 13 rebounds, I'm sorry, 11 points. Um, but it was everybody else. Like, you know, you have Noah Fernandes going two for five at the rim. You have Mott Mag going one for four. You have, you know, just the team in general looking like they should be making more of these bunnies around the rim. And I think they'll figure it out. Rutgers had the same problem last year, and I thought they'd figure it out and never really came to turn. But I just something they they gotta figure it out. I I, I I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but like you gotta hit <clears> shots <throat> at the rim. Like you're yeah. not gonna shoot fifty percent from three all the time, and they they only won by seven. Yeah, so, the yeah. thing that worries me about that is the fact that they're kind of undersized. The, the guards are a little undersized, to be honest. Like obviously we've seen Derek and Noah and Jamichael. There, I mean they're not exactly the biggest guards, and that's probably contributes why they get to the they get to the uh, get to the rim and they kind of get blocked or miss layups. And that's uh, yeah, that is a part. That is a part. That's why they do need. That's why they do need to shoot. Like they might not shoot every game like this from three, but they need to shoot well from outside. Otherwise, yeah, it could be a long day for them. Yeah, the five and nineteen on layups is it's just inexcusable again. Um, I, I don't know. You got to you got to do something better there. I think Mag coming back will help a little bit with that. But like you said, the guards are small, and I get it. You just can't you can't be afraid of that contact. You got to go up and just get the foul at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, Rutgers has a fairly light schedule in terms of volume in the next few weeks. They play Long Island on Saturday uh, mm-hmm. at 1 p.m. Then they have the, the neutral site game versus Mississippi State, uh, the 23rd. And then they have Stonehill on the 30th before they enter into Big Ten play. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that could be 9-3 and three at the end of the, uh, the uh, out-of-conference schedule, 9-2. and two. I think – so. I don't know who predicted nine and two and who predicted ten and one. I know I predicted ten and one, which is obviously not going to happen at this point. But it's kind of right in line with roughly where we expected to be. Um, it's a bummer that we had two big losses in that time. Uh, but I, I truly feel like this was a get right game, and if they can get you know enough of this, enough of the other issues resolved in practices, because they have you know probably three practices a week moving forward at least. I think this is a team that could still kind of be where we were hoping they'd be at the end of the season, which is right around a bubble team, a team that, you know, is in it until the, you know, late in February, early March. So I, I do think this was this 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 game was more like the Rutgers team than the, the previous two games. I think the previous two games, they were trying to figure things out. Hell, I think last year they lost to Illinois by 35 early in the season, right around yeah. this time. So. <laughs> They found ways. I think they're going to find a way this year. It's just, it sucks to kind of watch it in uh, the, the, like the teenage years of a season, I'll say. It's just awkward and and tough to watch. Yeah. Um, That Mississippi State game has a lot of tickets left still, too. So I don't know what kind of environment you're going to get. It's not going to be like Saturdays. (laughs) Obviously, it's not a rivalry. And I can't imagine Mississippi State traveling that well. So, yep. Definitely a different, different game. And I apologize. That was two years ago. But at this time last year, we were sitting at six and four. We had lost back-to-back games against Seton Hall and Ohio State. We had that mm-hmm. Miami game, which we probably should have won. We lost a neutral site game versus Temple. So, yeah, 
That's a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's uh, right. That was the one in like Vegas, right? Uh, Connecticut. Okay. Oh, right, right. That was. Is it Mohegan Sun? It was yeah, at a casino, right. though. So your, your yeah. mind was in the right place. <laughs> um, is there anything else basketball related you guys wanted to touch on before we move on to some football stuff? What's going on with Jawan Howard? What's what's going on there? You saw all those rumors. That was it. That's crazy. I mean, you're five and five. That's it's expected. Michigan doesn't. <laughs> they, they don't stand for losing very often. And you lost to Long Beach State, which I guess isn't a bad loss anymore because now they're just beating every high major. Kicked the shit out of USC yesterday. Yeah, I, I think from what I understand, there was an it was <clears throat> some kind of verbal altercation with the strength and conditioning coach in practice on Friday, I believe. Um, the, the school put out a statement saying, you know, we're doing an investigation. Uh, there wasn't any kind of physical altercation. Uh, but at the end of it, they also said Juwan Howard is on a zero tolerance policy following the uh, physical altercation with assistant coach against Wisconsin in 2022. <clears throat> so they're saying, you know, there's not evidence of physical altercation, but also referencing it at the same time. So I think if there's anything that comes out saying you put his hands on anybody, he's probably gone. Um, and I think Michigan fans would kind of rejoice a bit because that would probably get them out from underneath his contract. He's been a disaster. I mean, he's, he's got juice, but I mean, part of that was he had some talented sons who joined the team. He was able to convince a guy like Caleb Houston who didn't do much. They just have, they've kind of squandered a lot of opportunities under him. Uh, I think the bigger story, though, if we're talking <laughs> about Michigan schools, Michigan State. Yeah, no. Preseason, number four overall. They're four and five right now. Four and five That's, for a team that yeah. started the season as a like unanimous top five team. Um, they just whoops. Who they just lose to? Um, um someone they notable. They lost last night at Nebraska. Yeah, they lost at home versus Wisconsin. They lost <clears throat> versus Arizona, who's a top five team. They lost versus Duke, who's also a top ten team. And they had that brutal opening day loss uh, against James Madison. And they they played ba- Baylor on uh, Saturday as well. So this 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 isn't lightening up for them. Um, I mean, don't don't look now though. James Madison's still undefeated, which is wild. Uh, yeah. Hell of a year for James Madison. Shout out uh, both on the gridiron and on the hardwood. <clears throat> um, but Let's Big Ten some... basketball, real quick, it's just it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy again. Everything's <laughs> nuts. Um, Penn State just beat Ohio State. Like this is just it's going to be a fun year in the Big Ten, and everyone's going to beat the shit out of each other again. I, I'm here for it. Yep, Minnesota looks great. Um, Purdue's been dominating. Um, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be a hard it's season for them, though. Sure. I don't think they're going to get nine bids. <clears throat> yeah, you never know. Yeah. You're probably right. I don't see this as a, a standout year for, for the Big Ten, but we'll see. The season's young, for sure. Um, let's, talk some, uh, let's talk some Rutgers football. Um, the bowl game has been set for a while now. They will be playing uh, Miami at the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl on Thursday, December 28th at 2 p.m. Yankee Stadium. Tickets are still available um, if you are trying to go to that game. We have a pregame that Rutgers Rivals is co-hosting or yeah. sponsoring or affiliated. Uh, I don't know. We got a banner there. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's going to be run in conjunction with the Rutgers Alumni Association. That's going to be at Billy's. It starts at 10 a.m. on <clears throat> the 28th. Be there. The, the cheerleaders are going to be there. The band's going to be there. There's going to be special guests. It's going to be the place to be. So if you're trying yeah. to – and also you can't tailgate. If, unless you want to get a, a big old fat ticket from the mm-hmm. – uh, you know. The, the mall Seventy-two cops dollars lot. to be exact, and just mm-hmm. like, can talk from experience. <laughs> so you're you're not allowed to tailgate in the lots. So don't make that mistake. Head down to Billy's. Um, but let's talk about this game specifically. Uh, so Miami has had a you know <clears throat> a bit of an exodus into the portal. They lost Tyler Van Dyke, who was at one point being talked about as like a first round pick after his, his standout freshman year. He's in the yeah. portal. They've lost, you know, their center. They've lost some receivers. They've lost some linebackers. Um, Rutgers has only had one guy enter the the NFL draft, which is Max Milton. Um, what are you hearing on the Rutgers end about bowl availability for these players? Is there anybody we should expect to see versus not see? 
sounds like everyone's playing. I know we're still waiting on two more decisions from Robert Longerbeam and uh, Desmond Igmanosin. And people are panicking a little bit with Longerbeam for the sole fact that Fran recruited him. But uh, he's he's fine. It sounds like he's coming back. He's going to play. Everyone it sounds like everyone's going to play except, uh, except Melton. Melton would be the only one uh, that I guess isn't 100% going to play. I, I wouldn't say he's definitely out, but he's more than likely sitting out. Um, Kyle Manangai, I forgot about him too. We're kind of waiting on his decision, but I, I still expect him to leave. But if you saw on, who was it? Taj White's Instagram live yesterday. He was in the locker room. They do those, those dances like post-practice and he had full pads on. So it's like, all right, well, I guess he's playing. <laughs> so simple enough. I can't imagine him not playing too. Cause I think Craig, he actually did an article with you at the last game of the season saying, I can't imagine a reason I won't play in the bowl game or something like that. Yeah, I think he's going to, even if he doesn't play the full game, I think he's going to give it, you know, at least some, give some type of go. And yeah, as the days go on, it just seems like more and more this game is tipping towards the Rutgers' favor. A bunch of Miami guys are hitting the portal while Rutgers is just keeping their guys, not even just for the bowl game, for next year. So that's just yeah. encouraging news for Rutgers, you know, day after day now with Tere coming back and just those guys. I'm sure we'll get more into that later. But yeah, as the days mm-hmm. go on, I think this game favors Rutgers. Um, so when you say Kyle Minungai is, expe- is expected to leave, you expect him to go to the NFL, correct? Not to NFL. Yes, portal. correct. Correct. Okay. NFL. I'd be shocked if he didn't. It's just a financial move. Like at the end of the day, as a running back, you kind of have to leave. You you have to. Um, he's already, I think this is already his, is this his fourth year or fifth year? I think it is. Well, I don't think he ever redshirted it. So I think this was probably okay. his fourth year. Okay, so that sounds right. Um, This is kind of like the ideal situation for a running back because if you're a guy who is the bell cow for three or four years at a college program, that's going to be used against Mm -hmm. you. You have all this production, but then they say, you know, they kind of treat running backs like they have a very short lifespan and you want to, you know, if you look at who gets the big contracts in the NFL in terms of second contracts, it's typically the guys who are like, Tony Pollard's more so than Zeke Elliott's where you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're playing behind the guy you've, you know, been used in like kind of, you know, packages or like as the one B not the one a and for yeah. Kyle to have played as the one B for so long and have this one year as the one a showing he could do it. It's kind mm-hmm. of ideal. Cause you come back, if you came back next year and he was in the same role as this year, it would get used against him. It's a huge injury risk and he'd be a year older. So it's, you're just naturally more likely to get hurt when you're older than when you're younger. So it's the perfect opportunity for him to leave. He's not going to raise his stock. The only thing he can do is hurt his stock at this point. So he has to leave. Um, yeah. Like, we'd love to have him back. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Everybody would love that. I said multiple times he's been my favorite player to watch all season. But it's just yeah. not the, the, the correct financial decision. I've right said there. it before that I think the antennas will go up if he gets the, uh, you know, the, the Isaiah Pacheco comparisons to say Rutgers guy runs hard he's got good yeah. vision yep. once he gets that comparison you know and and he's a good and he's a great uh, uh pass blocker so i think once people once he gets those kind of uh drafts i guess uh profiles i think yeah that will i think he'll end up going and maybe get get a get, get hopefully get a good landing spot yeah he'll definitely get drafted i mean big 10 leading rusher great pass pro guy like he'll get drafted i don't know when <clears throat> probably one of the later rounds like the sixth or seventh if i had to guess just yeah, because he hasn't checko was seven that's so. exactly yeah, yeah that's look it. at him now all you need is a shot i mean hell i didn't think gus edwards would be a starting running back for this long and he's <laughs> one of the better starting running backs yeah so um I, I just realized now we talked about uh a few players um in terms of still deciding on decisions with longer beam mm-hmm. one we forgot oh, I, flip, flip I, Dixon. Yep. It's he's coming flip. back it sounds, it sounds like he's, he's coming, coming back. back yeah he's that's huge too for their secondary not just their secondary, I guess their defense in general, because they're they're returning everyone basically yeah. except Max, and and I think Max is good. Max is going to get drafted, maybe even a day two if he tests well. But it's not like they don't have DBs on DBs on DBs. Like Eric Rogers stepped up late in the season and looked pretty good, and I think he's going to just step into that role next year. And this kind of leads perfectly into what I wanted to talk about <laughs> next. There's been a lot of, quite frankly, bullshit out there about Rutgers' NIL situation. Like, is this, is Rutgers, you know, top twenty? top 25 in terms of NIL? No, but they are not paupers with, you know, their hats sticking out, you know, begging for coins on the street. Like this is a pretty 
<laughs> functional operation they have here. Look at the players that they've gotten to come back this year, which we wouldn't have seen in the past. Brian Felter, Christian Dremel, Tyreen Powell, Aaron Lewis, Wes Bailey, Holland Pierce, now Moteray, and we're going to probably see Flip Dixon, Robert Longerbeam, and Desiree Benusen coming back. That does not happen at most programs. Now, I think that's a twofold situation. I think one, NIL is better than it's being purported out there by some people. And that's a huge shout out to KTR because KTR does a great job behind the scenes of retaining players, of making sure that coaches have what they need. Obviously, like I just said, they are not, we don't have the most money in college football. We don't have the most money in college athletics, but we are more than adequate. We get shit done on that, on that, in that sense. And big shout out to KTR because you don't get, to, you don't keep all these guys without big efforts from them and also the, the program. And two, this is a cultural thing. Greg Ciano has ingrained a culture in this program where kids want to stay. Guys know that he can develop them into better players and NFL players. And they've seen it with their own teammates. They've seen it with what he does in the past. So I just want to give them a shout out as well, because look around, look around the nation. There's very few programs who have this kind of uh, player retention. And I get that, you know, we're not, <laughs> you know, these guys aren't all first round picks, but these are all guys who have a shot at making the NFL. Maybe not Brian Filter, and that's no slight on him. It's just he's a little undersized, hasn't played a ton. ton. But all the other guys I mentioned, they could probably, you know, at least be camp bodies at worst. Like a lot of these guys would get drafted if they entered the, the NFL draft next season. Yeah, especially, season. I mean, look look, look around the league. Look how many – it's a war of attrition. I mean, we see it every single week. <clears> how many guys go down? Just quarterbacks, offensive linemen, defense, everybody goes down. So, yeah, like you said, these guys could – they just need the NFL just needs bodies at this point. And yeah, those guys easily could have gone gone and take a shot, but they're coming back. So credit to Rutgers. Well, I mean, I want to hit on it too. Mike just said the culture thing. Like, look at Miami, for example. They're like what yeah. top five in NIL. They lost their starting quarterback, a starting linebacker, starting running back, a tight end, a defensive lineman, defensive lineman, like tight end again, a wide receiver. Like they're losing bodies left and right, and they have more money than God. <laughs> and they're, they're just losing dudes. Like it goes to show you the culture is an actual thing. I know people are like, oh, culture, this culture, that that's all they ever say is culture. Like that's a legitimate thing. Like you got to yep. build a culture to keep guys. And that's what Greg's doing. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Miami. They're one of the, the, the programs that got the most spotlight for NIL stuff because of, you know, John Ruiz and how many guys they brought in the overwhelming amount of teams that have this mercenary mindset where you're just bringing in, you know, huge classes of portal guys who basically are only there because of the money, they're not working out. Look at Miami, you look at Colorado, you look at Texas A&M, you look at even USC, that shit is not working. Like if you have a guy like Caleb Williams, it'll cover up a lot, but mm -hmm. in large part, that does not work. You need to supplement with the transfer portal, but it can't be the only way you, you bring in players. And especially if they're only coming because of the money, it's just never going to work. Hell, people are um, calling for Lincoln Riley's head. <laughs> like, I know. It's like, geez, dude, it's like insane. that guy's was just the best coach in college football down in Oklahoma like a couple years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Oklahoma's turned found a way to turn around <laughs> under uh, Venables too. It's, it's yeah. impressive. Um, but this kind of leads into a conversation about the portal. Uh, Rutgers has made a handful of offers out there. Uh, a few guys I really liked. A few guys that I didn't really like. Um, a few guys that were kind of off the radar in, in, in general. Um, only one of the guys they've offered so far is committed elsewhere. That's Jonathan Mendoza. He was the New York based uh, left tackle who has one year of eligibility left formerly at Yale. He committed to Louisville this past weekend. What's going on with Rutgers in the portal? It doesn't seem like there's been a lot of momentum. You, you know, we've talked about it off the pod, but things are kind of getting to the point where if you don't get them on campus now, you got to wait till after the holidays. <laughs> Yeah, um, this weekend's the last visit weekend until uh, January like fifth or sixth or something like that. Um, might even be the fourth actually. But uh, dead period, dead period's in effect for um, transfers too. It's not just high school kids. Um, signing day's coming up, so that's usually why they do the dead period now. So it gives you it gives you kids a couple days after visits to kind of settle down and figure out what they're doing. Are they signing? Are they not? Blah, blah. Are they committing? Are they not? Blah blah. blah. But um, yeah, in terms of the portal stuff, like it's it's mostly been linemen on both sides of the ball, but there's only like two I'm really keeping a close eye on. And that's Jalen Travis out of Princeton, who was recruited to Princeton by Ulrich, uh, current tight ends coach, uh, Andy Ulrich. 
Um, he was the OC there slash O-line coach when they recruited him. He also has connections to a couple other guys. Kirk Scirocco was the only Power 5 offer to offer him out of high school down over at Minnesota. And then uh, the assistant strength and conditioning coach at Rutgers, Mike Tufo, was the head strength and conditioning coach at Princeton. And he's very close with him. And it's, it's a big reason why Jalen kind of was able to shift his body. I think he was only like 260 coming out of high school. And now he's at 305. So um, that's significant. And then the other guy I'm keeping an eye on is Kevin Wigginton. Uh, Hun School. Hun School has been very good to Rutgers since Greg's been back. Um, he's in the portal from Michigan State. He's a guard, too, which they desperately need on, on the other side because Felter seems to have locked up that one spot now. Now they just have an opening on the other side at, at both tackle and guard. So I think those are the only two names I'm really co- keeping a close eye on. There's others, too. Like there's been one wide receiver offer in Dimir Miller from Monmouth, but he was at Texas Tech this weekend. Um, Joey Slackman's probably like the top defensive tackle in the portal. So I'm just going to go ahead and probably say no. He's got like 30 plus offers. Um, Anthony Johnson's a new one. I don't really know much about him yet out of Youngstown State. Uh, defensive tackle as well. And then Tyler Neville, uh, Harvard tight end. Um, they definitely need a tight end body. And I think he was one of the better blocking tight ends in college football last year. So it just seems like they're not going to kick the tires on Justin Jolly, which is kind of like a little annoying. <laughs> it's very annoying. Uh, this is a guy who was a freshman All-American last year at UConn. This year he didn't have quite the same accolades, but he was producing. He was the top receiver at tight mm-hmm. end. Um, if you look at you know, some of the games he had, they went down to, to, to Knoxville and played Tennessee <laughs> – while well, they got blown out, you know, he had eight catches for 90 yards. Um, he, he was a guy that if you look at Tennessee after that game, they basically didn't even want to let him leave Knoxville. They all were like, that was an SEC player. We, we should go after him in the portal. We should, you know, already, you know, leave him a bag of money in his hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy Rutgers isn't even seemingly pursuing, even though he, he is from the area. He went to Iowa prep. He was uh, Johnny Shepard's leading receiver when Johnny was a, uh, a junior and he was a senior. Yeah. It makes no sense. Why, why are you not offering him? And I think the staff has some uh, aversions to making offers to guys uh, if they don't think it's likely they'll land him, which I think is not the way you want to pursue things. Like it, It's just like a volume game in general. You're not going to land most mm-hmm. of the guys you offer. Uh, but you have to kind of make that offer to even be in the race. It's like it's like they've declined to even step up and take an at-bat because they don't want to potentially strike out. Like, there's no way you're going <laughs> to score any runs unless you actually step up to the plate. So I think it's kind of insane that they're not offering that kid who has ties both <clears throat> locally and to the program directly with some friends. And there's a few Iona prep guys in the portal right now. Um but I, I don't know. I, that one really annoys me. Um, yeah. They've only made it's... like six or seven offers total in the portal so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like they're able to to handle um, all these different things at once, like the bowl game prep, uh, the NIL stuff, the portal. High school even. High school, closing out that class, getting kids on mm-hmm. campus. Like everything is just such a hyper sped up timeline uh, in the portal. Like most of these guys go from maybe they have a pre-existing relationship. They go from the offer to the visit to the commitment sometimes in, in a week. So if, if you're not getting in on them in that time frame, you're not going to get them. That's just the way it is. So um, yeah, a guy like Demir Miller, they haven't gotten on campus yet. He's, you know, from Coatesville, PA. He went to high school with the young brothers. You know, he's a legit track guy. He even, uh, the Young Brothers were part of a four by a hundred relay team that I think won states their senior year um, in PA, and he just totally dominated this year. He was the leading receiver in the FCS. He was the number it's... one rated <laughs> receiver on PFF. Like everything about this guy screams, do everything you can to land him, and they're not even able to get him on campus. He visited Texas Tech this past weekend. They just gotta, they have to be more active in the portal. That's plain and simple. This is the third straight year, fourth straight year now, whatever it is, that we're, you know, trying to <clears throat> will them into being more active in the portal, um, but it doesn't seem to be working. He has the FCS, FCS record for most receiving yards in a season and most receiving yards per game. FCS record holder. And people on our boards are like, I don't know if he can play at this level. And I'm like, what? 
what? <laughs> yeah, I think that's just a blanket statement from most fans who don't really want to go beyond like the where did he play power five kind of stuff. Like, I get that this is anecdotal, but like, do you know where the leading rusher uh, from the SEC was at previous to uh, Missouri? No, but it was low level, wasn't it? I don't either. He played in D2. Oh. The leading receiver from the SEC was a D2 transfer portal guy. And again, anecdotal, but that just shows like it doesn't matter where you play. If you can play, you can play. And that's where the evaluation comes in. So anytime people just like dismiss a guy because they play it at a lower level, I think is just lazy. Um, but obviously they're playing at a lower level for a reason. But I challenge you to think of it like this. Richie, what was the average class size before the transfer portal for high school recruiting? Probably 25, 24, 25, 25, yeah, around there. What's the average class size right now? Like 15 maybe 15? on a good day. Yeah, okay. like a good day. <laughs> so you've cut 40% of the kids who typically would have gotten a scholarship out of high school out of the picture. So where do those, those guys go? Where do they go? They go to the FCS. <laughs> They yeah. go to the MAC. They go mm -hmm. to sometimes even D2 because FCS schools are doing portal stuff too. So if everybody is mm -hmm. cutting who they allot scholarships to in high school by about 30 to 40%, yep. there's going to be way more guys who fall through the cracks. So mm -hmm. if anything, now is probably the most talent-rich time at the lower level than any time before because you can't, as a Power 5 school, take as many high school kids as you probably would have liked. And just think of all the guys at Rutgers even who got late scholarship offers, who were like the last guy in the class. That was like the running thing for a while is like almost every guy Shiano would take as like the last kid in the class or, you know, a late addition would end up being pretty big contributors. Like, yeah. I know Ron Geralt comes to mind, the safety from his first time around who ended up mm -hmm. starting for three years. I think Courtney Green was the same way. Um, yep. I think one of the McCourty brothers was a late addition. So like, you know, these are the kind of kids who would typically be like the last one in and those aren't, kids who power five programs are taking anymore. So there's way more, mm -hmm. more talent at the lower levels. Um, and that has to be something you take into account when you're saying he played at the lower level, he can't play here. Well, circumstances have changed and there's a lot more talented kids at the lower levels than they used to be. Um, it's crazy. Say, and what about everybody's favorite topic of discussion? The quarterback. <laughs> oh, we can, we can talk about that. Yeah. So it's... let's talk about, uh, Quarterbacks in the portal. We've been a proponent of it. A lot of people have been a proponent of it. A lot of people haven't. I think it's the most divisive topic in Rutgers fandom right now. History. We know where we stand. Is there is there any movement on oh. the portal front oh. with with quarterbacks? <laughs> no, they they haven't reached out to anybody. Um, I know everyone's like that's not true. Max Sluka or Matthew, Matthew Sluka, right? I think it's Matt Sluka. Yeah. Matt Sluka yep. uh, tweeted, they tweeted out he had interest from Rutgers. And I was like, dude, I literally talked to the kid. He said someone followed him. Yep. And he thinks that's, that's what he's clarifying his interest, which whatever you can do that if you want, but that's technically not interest. If Rutgers is interested in a portal yep. guy, they're going to offer him straight up. That's it. Simple as that. Um, or they'll talk to him. Kyle like Mc there's been kids that yeah. you've reached out to who maybe not gotten an offer, but Rutgers coaches have spoken with them. Like not necessarily yeah. quarterbacks, I'm talking about like linemen. Yes, correct. Um, it's just it's not happening. I I don't see it happening. I'd be shocked if it happens. Um, who's the other guy that everyone keeps? Oh, Kyle McCord, Rutgers legacy guy. Yeah. Zero zero interest whatsoever. You can give him a million dollars right now, and I still don't think he's going to Rutgers. Like he just has no interest in it. And How about two million? It's part. <laughs> what'd you say? How about two million? Two. No, it's still not going to happen. Three. He, so, had, he doesn't doesn't want to go. Billion dollars. So he's <laughs> he's taking a visit. I think this upcoming weekend to, to Nebraska. You say it could be even two million dollars. Is that just because of the offensive fit? Is it because he wants to get away from home? Like, what is the reason there's just zero interest in Rutgers given the ties? Based based on what I was told, is like the family's just not fans of Rutgers. Like, and it's ironic, giving his dad is a, a legacy guy, but. It just seems like they have zero interest in Rutgers. They're not Rutgers fans at all. I know you can go pull up the quotes from the, I think it was Fonseca's article or Lanny's article, um, talking to him before the Rutgers game. But like, there's, they have zero interest or zero ties to Rutgers anymore. Like, they're done with it. That yeah. went to school there, great, played there, great. But he's just could care less. Like, 
And it's it's crazy yeah. to say that, but like he has zero interest at all. And now, um, yeah, like you said, he's visiting Nebraska this week with his second best receiver, I guess, and Julian Fleming. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I think he's going to end up there. And they have a better offense, so there's no question. Yeah. And to piggyback on what you said, like I spoke to Max Brosmer, the, the Nebraska, the New Hampshire kid, um, who mm-hmm. Rutgers, you had a couple coaches follow him. Um, they never reached out. They He said, uh, you know, they reached out. They didn't reach out to me. They started following me, but blah, blah, blah. And he went from, you know, entering the portal to getting an offer to setting a visit up to committing in a seven-day span. So mm-hmm. you've really kind of, if you really want a guy or you're even mulling it over, I get it's an awkward situation, but you have to kind of jump on it. Look at Brandon Sorsby. He's a guy who entered the portal and was committed in less than, I think, 10 days. He, um, he's now at Cincinnati. So you're, I think there will be a bigger supply than a demand for quarterbacks in the portal because everybody's just entering. You know, Dylan Gabriel already committed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a game of mm-hmm. musical chairs. There's going to be way more kids who, at the when the music stops at the end, don't have a seat than kids who do. So that's a bit of an advantage for Rutgers, but you also need to have the willingness to and want to to go get one. And it just doesn't seem like that's there. So it seems like we're going to be <clears throat> pretty static with the QB room next year outside of the addition of AJ Serace. So we'll see how things go. But that's uh, that's the QB update because I know everybody's wanted to know what's going on. I'm already having nightmares over the Gavin Wimsat discourse we're going to have next year. I just I can see it already. Oh, it's going to be all offseason for sure. <laughs> per- percentage can't go any lower, right? Completion percentage? Like... We'll keep saying that, but... Yeah, uh, you mean like... you hope not. I really hope <laughs> not. Like... What is it, career 46? 46.6, I think, in his career, and he was 47.8 just... this year. And, and for context, yeah. the people that don't follow football religiously, 50% is not even good. <laughs> like 60% is like the lowest acceptable oh, yeah. number now, yeah. given yeah. how many rules are slanted towards passing, given how these kids, they play seven on seven starting when they're like seven years old now. So these are kids yeah. who, who did... Like the, the big problem with like passing back in the day was these kids weren't even playing high school. They they weren't even playing football until high school. A lot of these offenses in high school were like wing T, like triple option type things mm-hmm. where you might have a few passes a game. So they needed to essentially learn how to play quarterback when they got to college. They needed to learn how to play receiver once they got to college. All these kids have already done it now for you know a good deal of their lives. Uh, that's how you know what they, they. A lot of these kids play Madden now. A lot, like they just basically know how. To, to work a passing game, whereas in the past it was totally foreign to them. So 60% is like the lowest acceptable number, in my opinion, now. So we'll see. Um, it's bad. Especially for a team that just ran, they basically ran the ball 50 times a game last year. Like, And again, we talked about it. Kyle Mungu, if he doesn't come back, I mean, that's a, for the offense, I mean, they're just, they're very lucky that the entire defense seems like it's basically coming back. So you're basically having, same exact defense. So you, once again, we expect yeah. that top defense. But I mean, this offense—you lose common on guy, you're gonna like. That's a big role to try and find a fill, especially with a quarterback who you might not have. They've shown they don't have much faith in you know letting him pass the ball down the field. So I don't know. I'm just. Ugh, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I do know. think they're. <laughs> you get, you gotta hope Sam Brown gets his burst back after a year because the injury he had was not easy to come back from, and uh, you gotta hope he regains some of his burst uh, this upcoming in 2024. But this is a mm-hmm. situation where a portal guy, if Rutgers shows interest in a running, a running back, you have a lot to sell. You could sell, you know, two guys in the NFL and Manungai and and Pacheco in the last few years. You had you had an offense that supported the number one rusher in the Big Ten, which is no small feat. If you look at who's led the Big Ten in rushing in history, almost all those guys are, are NFL guys. Some of them are you know Hall of Famers. So yeah. that's uh, that's definitely something to hang your hat on. <clears throat> um, but in order to do that, you got to recruit. And in order to recruit, you got to have assistant coaches. So let's talk about some of the assistants at Rutgers because there has been some movement uh, behind the scenes. Joe Harris Simiak was a finalist for the James Madison job. Mm -hmm. Uh, That went to Bob Chesney, the former Holy Cross coach, and where we think a few guys from Holy Cross end up. Um, How close was Joe Harris Simiak to getting that job? Uh, He was number two. (laughs) Like he was like this close. It was basically. And that's it's crazy because that's the second time he's finished as the runner up for that job, um, and, p- and people it's like criticize Fran that at, uh, Temple. Yep, people criticize that job because they're like, yeah, it's it's James Madison. And I'm like, dude, that's that was a good James Madison team this year, number one in their first year in FBS, and they made the leap from FBS. Like, it's it's a very good program. It's on the up and up. Like, 
I'd be shocked if they stay in the Sun Belt for much longer because they, they proved that they, they'll spend money. They have a fan base. Like it's it's a legitimate up and coming program. It's not Big Ten level, but it's it's up there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean he was the runner up, so he was very close. They they flew in to see him. They flew in to talk to him. They did interviews. They did several interviews with him. Several with Chesney. Everyone that was tracking the flights, what are we tracked? And they found out which flight it was exactly, and tracked that flight to New Jersey on multiple occasions. Tracked that flight from New Jersey to, um, I forget what town it is. It's like Johnsburg or Johnstown or something like that, whatever town they're in in James Madison. And it, it, he was right there, runner up. So definitely interesting. Um, another guy that seems to be getting <clears throat> interest from James Madison is Corey Heatherman. What are you hearing there? Mm-hmm. So Corey Heatherman is supposedly their top target per our James Madison guy, because we have one of those in our network, which again, goes to, goes to show you that there is a fan base like um but yeah no he was the defensive coordinator f- 2017 to 19 at james madison i think it was i'm looking at it now uh, 2019 to 2021 james madison's defensive coordinator and they loved him he ran a hell of a defense one of the better defenses in the fcs now for him to do that and leave for Rutgers to the linebackers job for him to go back it's a totally different job now like i said they made the leap from fcs to fbs so it's it's a legitimate defensive coordinator coordinator position too, and now they're paying more too. Like Harris Simeon, or Harris Simeon, Heatherman's contract ends in February, and he was making three hundred k, or he's actually made three hundred k this past season, two seventy five the year before that. I'd say a bump in pay to like five to six hundred plus the defensive coordinator role. It, it's hard to turn down because I don't know if Rutgers is going to pay that for a linebackers coach. Yeah, I don't think they will either. Um... He's been fantastic as the linebackers coach. If you, it's been great. It was one of the biggest weaknesses on the team prior to him getting here. He turned Deion Jennings from just an average player into, you know, one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten. You know, he, he helped develop Tyreen Powell from a raw player into arguably the best player on the team. And then mm-hmm. you saw Motore. He was an undersized edge rusher who kind of didn't really have a position and he was able to help transform him into a legit off-ball linebacker and one of the best in the Big Ten. So losing him would be a big blow, in my opinion. But that's the kind of thing, like, <laughs> while it sucks to lose talented coaches, it's ultimately a good thing for the health of the program. If nobody wants your coaches, that's kind of an indictment that you're not doing things well. Um, it'll help Greg attract better candidates for every position if you're you know, elevating guys' jobs. If you're going from a position coach to a coordinator, coordinator to a head coach. That's It sucks mm-hmm. in the moment, but ultimately it's good for the health of the program. Um, and kind of piggybacking off of that, a former Rutgers assistant is now the head coach of a longtime rival in Syracuse. Why are you making Kyle like, well, Kyle Mononga is coming back. Wow. He's going to play another year? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so breaking news on the pod. Uh, we'll have this out probably by midday, but Kyle Manungai is returning to Rutgers football for the 2024 wow. Everything season. I just Let's... said about 10 seconds ago, just f- f- completely disregard. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is wild. So we've had some like breaking news, quote unquote, on the pod before, but none this monumental. This Let's is... talk about how big of a deal this is in terms of the outlook for Rutgers next season. It's such a big deal. I might have to edit this pod and put this first. <laughs> but no, um, in, in reality, this is huge for Rutgers. That's the Big Ten's leading rusher, and it was the lifeblood of your offense, <laughs> literally. Like, we just talked about how they couldn't pass the ball. Um, the run game is literally what carried this team to six wins this past season, and it probably could have gotten them a couple more if, if things dropped in their favor a couple other ways. Where but... are you seeing this? I don't see this anywhere. I got sources. Ah, okay. <laughs> not, not a, it's not out there. Publicly. Oh, okay, that's what the, okay, yeah. okay, okay, gotcha. But by the time we post this, it'll be public, so it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> so based on what I was told, it was it was 50-50 for a long time, and he, he got some NFL um, people talking to him and talking about like where he would go, blah, 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 and he, he wants to come back and just kind of uh, boost his stock a little more. Now, that being said, I know we said it before, I don't know how much really more you can boost your stock when you're <laughs> – Big, you'd have to just have to do the same thing you did again, basically. But again, that hurts your running back lifespan too. So, um, but no, this is huge for Rutgers. This is ginormous, and I, I just very impressed that they were able to pull this off. And it goes back to the the KTR talk. NIL had to play a factor here. I'd be shocked if it didn't. Um, 
and KTR has just been amazing in terms of retain, retaining players. And like you said, culture too with Greg and the staff. This is just a very, very big win for Rutgers. And honestly, the the way the offseason's played out so far, you could not have asked for it any better way. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. we talked. It's our, I was going to say, though, we talked about in the past that even – I mean, he wasn't going to be a practice squad player, but even like practice squad players make decent money. And at the very least, I think Manungai would have at least been, if anything, uh, an, a free agent, an undrafted free agent. And then you can just pick your spot. You can go play with Isaiah Pacheco if you want again. So just the fact that, um, yeah, the sure. fact that he chose to come back, I'm just, I'm surprised. And, but from a Rutgers standpoint, that's re- very encouraging news. Again, like you said, Big Ten leading rusher. Really? Well, he was your offense this year. He, he was the MVP. Like without him, you do not get the six wins. I don't know how many wins they would have gotten without him. So to bring him back, I mean, again, I'll, I'll like I'm not going to you know go back on kind of my stance on the quarterback because I think now no, that's that's no, still it's still the same standpoint. <laughs> but and the fact that the next year I think the schedule is easier than this year because again the, the divisions are gone. They got to face the Ohio States. The, the you don't have to face those you know those big boys now. It's more of the Big Ten West like the Minnesotas, the Illinois. So I think there's more potential wins. Like we've talked about it in the past that next year. Even though six wins, going into the year, six wins, was we felt kind of the ceiling for this team, which ended up getting. Next year, to me, six wins right now is the floor. Like, this team has to be at least a six-win team next year, if not a seven- or eight-win team. Because I think, just like I said, the schedule is favorable. You're getting basically your entire defense, you're getting the entire defense back, which was one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. Now you're bringing back, again, the Big Ten leading rusher, a great player in common on guy. I would just hate to think that a, a potentially really historic season could be ruined by just bad quarterback play that's why it's like it's such an easy sell now I know. Now, now you could you could go in the portal and be like hey dude big 10 league and rusher like i'm not asking you to go crazy i just need you to hit yeah. I don't know 55 percent of your passes and that's all i need from you and and you got the yeah. offensive line back too so for the most part we don't need yeah. the tight window throws like you said we just need the gimmies the wide open receivers to just get hit <laughs> um I have this crazy construction going on in my background now that just started. Say, so when did gonna... you get a woodpecker? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to try and keep muted as much as no, I can. Sorry a, for the, okay. uh, the sound, guys. But um, obviously, this is huge news that will continue to kind of get developed over the next days and, and the coming days and, and weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome, awesome news for the outlook next season. I still feel the same way as I did earlier in the pod, but uh, uh, awesome news for, for Rutgers' outlook next year. Talk about the waves that Fran Brown is making at Syracuse. A lot of people have asked about that. A lot of people were disappointed yeah. that Rutgers <laughs> didn't give him the DC job a few years ago. I'm not. Uh, but talk about how big of a deal this will be, at least for the next few years, for Fran in the recruiting <clears throat> sense. So it's definitely going to be a pain in the neck for Rutgers. There's no secret to it. Um, I mean, look at what he's doing already. He flipped three New Jersey kids yesterday or today. Yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. Uh, Yasin Willis, a guy that we've talked about a lot, that was considering heavily considering Rutgers. Um, State's top prospect, Yusin Willis, has flipped to Syracuse from uh, Pittsburgh. Texas A&M wide receiver Jalen Hornsby has flipped from Syracuse or from A&M to Syracuse. Jahid Lassane Jr. out of Irvington literally uh, was a Kent State commit flipped to Syracuse. Rutgers had an offensive line or defensive lineman from Irvington in Murad Watson had an in-home on Monday, scheduled an official visit the next day. Fran came in on Thursday. And he canceled his Rutgers visit and then said, I'm going to Syracuse this weekend. And it's like, <laughs> like it's, it's going to be a pain in the neck, a pain in the ass, especially this off season, because they haven't gotten the coaching yet. So they, no one really knows if they're good or bad, or not, but that new swag, that new coach juice is like, that's, that's a thing. Like it's going to have, um, they just had ironically, cause it's Syracuse. They have a lot of juice. Like they have a lot of orange juice too, but um, yeah, no, they're just, uh, that was bad. That was a bad joke. Um, but yeah, no, they, it's, it's, it's bad, but it's good at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I rethought about it when I said it, I was like, damn, that was, that was rough. Um, but yeah, no, they they had a five star on campus this weekend in, in, uh, KJ Bolden, the Florida state commit, the Emmanuel Ross is, um, number seven in New Jersey, Red Bank Catholic Stanford commit, probably going to flip King Joseph Edwards, a four star down in Georgia, uh, defensive end, probably going to commit there. former Virginia tech commit. I think he was. Um, they also had a four star in top 200 guy from a uh, Coy Beasley who's committed to, uh, Purdue. There doesn't sound like it's anything's official yet, but there, there's certain to talk about him flipping. It's <laughs> Fran Brown. And this, it's a bunch of recruiters on that staff. The fact that he was able to get Elijah Robinson is huge. And I, I don't want to say it too much, but 
they're probably going to lock down South Jersey for until they can prove that they're good coaches or not. And that's, that's the big question mark. They've literally hired a bunch of coaches. <laughs> I've never called a fucking play. Like it's <laughs> insane. Um, wide receivers coach. I forget who they just hired. They hired someone that was notable recently. Uh, oh, Ross Douglas, the former yeah. Rutgers guy. Yeah. Who's never guy. called, never called a play. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. They do not have any X's and O's situation. Like I think people were kind of excited to see what Dion could do with the same mindset where you're, you know, not a, not a conventional hire, um, but he brought <laughs> on a guy like Sean Lewis, who is an Exodus and O's guy. Yeah, he brought an experienced like DC. It looked like it worked at the beginning, but you're bringing in literally no coaches who have any like formal <laughs> experience at their you know coordinator positions or you know really Exodus and O's background. And recruiting is more important in my opinion than Exodus and O's. You got to have the Jimmys and the Joes. Yeah, if you can't coach them. That's it's not going to work out. I just don't see yeah. this working with the construction of his staff that he's got. Uh, yeah, I think the construction of the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's the big question is, I mean, when, he, when we first heard Fran was getting the Syracuse job, I think we all kind of expected Fran's the type of guy who can sell ice to an Eskimo. Like this guy, I don't know what it is about. I mean, this guy just, he just has, like you said, has the juice. So I expected, you know, kind of this uptick in uh, recruiting for Syracuse. I don't know if I expected it maybe to this level. This is just insane. Every every time I look on Twitter, somebody else is flipping to Syracuse. So, I mean, credit to him that he just can do this. But now it's just going to come down to whether or not he can coach. This is kind of the shot. This is kind of the shot in the arm that Syracuse really kind of needed. So now it's just about, can is it sustain? Is it going to be sustainable? Is he going to, is he going to be a good coach? Because as you've shown, as much as kids want to go and the money and the things and the time, things like that, they want to go somewhere where they also think they can be developed and potentially go to the next level. So is Fran the type of guy and then his assistants, are they the type of a staff that are going to be able to consistently just pump out the, you know, the talent from New Jersey, New York, wherever that's, that's, that's the main question right now. And, they've made they've kind of think they've made no secret where the kind of the the destination is they just saw you put one of those assistants put out the uh what was it the picture of uh, the s over new jersey then so there's no there's no secret about though they're trying to i guess build the rivalry back up and it'll be interesting to watch now for the years to come yeah like even their linebackers coach they hired from buffalo he was the defensive coordinator for buffalo and pete thamel tweeted it out he's like they're expected to hire buffalo dc robert wright as a new linebackers coach he's expected to have a big role in the defense and the final sentence is uh, he also didn't call plays last year. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, it's a gamble. It's, 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 this is definitely it's a gamble if it pays off. Now, that being said, I think people are underestimating Elijah Robinson because I think he, he technically hasn't – I guess he called plays for, like, what, three games, four games when Fisher got fired, and he was in charge of the program. So he was technically calling plays, I guess, if that counts, for four games. But it's it's different it's like completely different i think he'll be okay i think their offense is what is really going to be weird because they're hiring jeff nixon who's a pennsylvania guy giants running backs coach but again 24 years of experience never called plays and it's like it's just wild moves like and again he he also has like two games of experience because he was the interim oc for carolina for the last two games of the season so it's like does that count no i don't think so personally but like they've never had full time play calling on any of these guys, <laughs> but he recruits, and that's all that matters. Like you said, it's the it's the lifeblood of a program for the most part. Definitely, um, going a bit long on this today, guys, and we have construction in the background. Is there anything else you guys wanted to, to hit on before we head out today? <sighs> welcome. Did we ever say welcome to New York, Juan Soto? I forget. Did we cover that? We did. We did. Oh, that. you did. Yeah. Yeah. Talked yeah. about it like four yeah. times in a row now. Craig. <laughs> Tell me well, you're excited, Craig. Welcome. To, well, then, uh, good, good luck in the Los Angeles Shohei Otani. I mean, $700 million. Oh, Jesus, dude. Oh, my God. Like, insane. Good luck living up to that contract. Um, I know we asked about for questions, and there, there's a couple of them. Uh, one of the most notable ones was, uh, is it the Big Ten title in play, regular season or tournament next year for basketball? I'd say yes, 100%. Based on that roster, yeah, absolutely, like, it is. Yeah, I think that one's an easy one. There's a. Are any of the Miami coeds from Long Island going to be at the pinch triple? It's <laughs> a good question. I don't know. We'll have to find that one out. We'll have to do some uh, research. Um, are there positions on the offensive side of the ball that Rutgers is still targeting for portal? We we kind of already went over that one. I feel like. Um, what else? What else? What else? When will we get our first portal commitment? I don't know, to be determined. 
I'd say Kevin Wigginton's probably the closest one, maybe Jalen Travis, but uh, Travis is going to wait probably until January to make a decision because he's finishing up finals, and that's obviously very important in Ivy Leagues. Um, plus, uh, they have to visit this weekend. If they don't visit this weekend, they're probably not going to commit. So, uh, Someone asked me about Babu Toure, who's committed to Penn State still. Now that both his brothers are going to be on the team again next year, people are starting to ask if he'll flip to Rutgers at all. And it's just, it's a no go. It ain't happening. Now, one of his main recruiters in Khalil Ahmad is now back at Syracuse. Fran Brown, South Jersey, Toure, South Jersey. It, it's not crazy. It's not out of the, out of this world type thing. Um, someone tried arguing with, with me saying that, uh, yeah, but he doesn't want to play with his two brothers. I was like, he committed when both his brothers were on the team, like he, he doesn't, it doesn't matter to him. Like he wants to go somewhere, like to go, he wants to go elsewhere make a name for himself somewhere else. But um, he's out. Josiah Brown, people asked about too. It's not happening. He's not flipping. He's like very happily committed. Penn state had their whole staff at his house the other day. Um, he also tours ACL, MCL and something else. LCL, I think it is. Um, so he's probably not going to, you're not going to see him on the field for a while. Plus I don't think they even play Penn state next year. Or for the next couple of years, I think. So, but uh, I think that's that's all for questions, really. There's nothing else really significant out there. Or we answered everything, I should say. All right. Well, thanks to everybody who listened. Thanks to everybody who's liked, subscribed, written comments. You know, we really appreciate each and every one of you. Um, this has been another edition of the Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.